Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Gail, you're looking particularly Christmassy this morning. Welcome. You look beautiful. Um, we are in the middle of Genesis. If you haven't been to uh, the chapel service for a little while, um, we're in this service we go deep into the Word and work through something for 15 minutes. Then we stop and have a bit of a chat about it, and then we go forward. Now, we're not going forward for 15 minutes this time. We've just said to Pastor Jack, just go for it, Pastor Jack. And uh, so if you're in the 10, um, then maybe you just get up when during when it hits 10 o'clock and go in and, uh, and, and go and sit in that service as well. But we know it's going to be powerful this morning. So we are not working line by line through Genesis because, let's face it, that would take forever. But we are just hitting the major themes. And uh, what we have seen so far is obviously that Genesis is the book of origins. It genuine, it um, literally means beginnings. Uh, we've had the origin of creation, the origin of humanity, the origin of choice, which then led to the origin of sin. Uh, we've seen um, the origin even of circumcision. Praise God. Uh, we've seen um, the proactivity of God from the majestic declaration of creation, where He just said, "Let there be, let there be, let there be," and there was. Uh, we saw where um, He got down in the dust and created humanity. That right from the start, He was this majestic God, but He was also the God who got down in the dust with humanity. Um, we saw Him walking in the cool of the evening. The proactivity of God to be with His people. Uh, we saw the covenants of God, the promises that he makes from um, when obviously the first shedding of blood in the garden to cover over um, what was happening and, and to not run away from wrongdoing, but to run towards it and to make provision for it. Then we saw obviously with Noah, um, that rainbow in the sky, a sign of his judgment, not on the people anymore, but now pointing back to him and saying, I'll take the judgment of humanity from here on in. I won't destroy the earth again. Uh, and then obviously um, the next one was that, that torch back to the cool of the evening when he's back um, with Abraham and it goes through those slain animals and he says, I will keep my covenant with you even if it kills me. Spoiler alert, it did. And uh, and so he, um, he made that promise to humanity. We saw the theme of chaos, um, the chaos of the waters at the start and the spirit hovering over the waters and, and then the chaos of humanity and descending into chaos and then the literal chaos of the flood. God continually bring order from chaos. And uh, then we saw the propensity of humans to build towers rather than plant gardens, more comfortable with something that you can see and say, I made that, there's a finished product than a garden that is messy and organic and grows, but God's totally comfortable with gardens. Um, we saw the idea that God would found a nation through whom all other nations would be blessed. He never blesses us just for ourselves, but always blesses us so that His blessing might perpetuate through the earth. Um, we saw the theme of God deeply desiring relationship from creation and then um, to Abraham, to the calling of Abraham, and then even to a slave mother, single bum in the desert, who not only um, he called her son Ishmael, God hears, but she got to call him the God who sees, the first person to give God a name, a single mum in the wilderness. And, uh, and so we, we see that. We saw Sodom and Gomorrah um, and um, uh, obviously the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't this Gomorrah. Some of you were confused and thought that it was the Gomor that Gomorrah. It wasn't that Gomorrah. And, um, um, but we talked about how 
how we need to not bury our heads in the sand when it comes to people who struggle or who have same-sex attraction and how Sodom and Gomorrah is actually completely irrelevant to that but we need to have beautiful God-glorifying discipleship conversations and, um, and that's not relevant Sodom and Gomorrah is not relevant to that conversation um, and we talked about oh last week Phoebe we went really deep with Phoebe talking about chapter 20 to 23 talking about how humans will make an idol out of anything that will often glorify the gift rather than the giver um, both Phoebe and Andrew talked brilliantly about the sacrifice of um, Abraham or the sacrifice of Isaac. I just wanted to quickly mention that, you know, we're all, we find that abhorrent that, that God would say, hey, come sacrifice your son, your only son. But Abraham would have been like, oh, okay, because in their polytheistic worship, it was commonplace to sacrifice your child to the gods. So when we go, why would God ask such a thing? Abraham would have been, oh, okay, you want me to do that? And as Phoebe brought out, he thought that God would just raise him from the dead because he knew the promise was through him. But in those days, when you worship gods that can't talk and can't hear because they're made out of wood and stone, you never know if they're pleased or not. So if you sacrifice something to them, you give them, say, a bit of grain and you have a decent harvest and you say, oh, well, I want a better harvest next year, so I'll give you a rabbit. You have a better harvest. I want a better one. I'll give you a pig and so on and so on. But also in the negative direction, if I get a bad harvest, clearly the gods weren't pleased with my sacrifice, so I've got to give more. I've got to give more. And both directions you give more until they ended up sacrificing their children into the fire. And that was commonplace. And that's what we try to do. If we rely on our own effort, it always goes badly that we try to do more, more, more until we'll even, we see this in the world that we live in, on the, to the gods of materialism, people will sacrifice their families and work harder and harder and harder and it stems from way back there and and that Abraham said that I will I, yeah sure I'll do that but God's like no you won't I'm always going to be the one to provide the sacrifice and changed it up completely so that was awesome it's so amazing that what we find abhorrent actually stems becomes abhorrent right then before then commonplace Normal, normal to sacrifice children. At that point, God says, no more, and now we find it abhorrent. But we wouldn't have if God hadn't have provided the sacrifice. So skipping in right now to Genesis chapter 24, and we're going to cover three chapters in seven minutes. Here we go. Okay. Verse 1, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, oh, you know how we usually wait, like we get to a point, we're going well, and then we get to a weird story in Genesis? We're just hitting it straight away this morning. One day Abraham said to his older servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. That was on Abraham's testicles, okay? And so that was that, yep, I know Bella, freaky, right? Um, and, um, and so it was, um, that was a sign. We swear on the Bible, but the circumcision was a covenant. Well, so it was either testicles or do we need to have an, an anatomical lesson? No? Okay. We have no diagrams this morning. Um, so it was either on the sign of his circumcision because that's the covenant of God, or it was on his testicles because that was talking about Abraham and, the, I mean, Isaac, the seed through which he would, um, the promise would come. So either way, 
Men folk, you know, this is a serious promise. Um, and so he says this, Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son, Isaac. We see clearly here that Abraham was a racist. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he, we saw the devastation of the story of Lot, right, where he settled. He went, well, it looks good here, so I'm going to settle here, eventually becoming a leader, someone who sat at the city gates of Sodom, who eventually allowed his daughters to marry the people of the city who then wouldn't come with them, wouldn't separate themselves and come with them when they fled that city as it was being destructed. It destructed? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, top, top 1% of the state for English right here. Um, so de destroyed or destructed, either one. And, uh, and when he gets rescued, when the family gets rescued, the sons stay. So Abraham can see the, the difficulty and what would happen if you allow your children to be influenced by the culture around you rather than saying, no, no, we're going to choose, we're going to be the influence here. And so he, um, he goes and, and Abraham says, um, the, the, the servant asks the question, well, should, what happens if um, she doesn't want to come? Should I take your son there? And Abraham responded, no, never take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from our father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she's unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. You see, to inherit the promises of God, there's a tenacity and a stickability and a bit of mongrel and a bit of just staying that needs to happen. And when it sometimes would seem easier to go over there to take what you think God's promised you, sometimes you just need to stay in the difficult place. And, uh, and so that's what happens. And, and Abraham's servant's like, can I please go now? And Abraham's like, oh, yep, yep, you can go. So he goes and uh, he took the oath and he goes. He loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master and he travelled to distant Aram Naharim. Then he went to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor had settled. Now just as an aside, if you want to marry one of my daughters, you need to get 15 camels um, rather than 10. You need to then run at Darren, okay? And then you need to run at Lockie. And then the hardest task, you need to run at me. Don't let this incredibly slight petite physique fool you. It will be difficult. Okay, chapter 20. So great story. Um, they end up getting Rebecca. Rebecca is like, bang, she, she'll come back immediately, has no hassle whatsoever in coming back, leaving everything. It, let's not lose the, the incredible. It's like someone moving from Penrith to Tamworth and, uh, and, and marrying an electrician. And it's like, wow, right? Yeah. And then having their first Christmas without their parents in, oh, sorry, I'm not going to make them cry. Stop it, stop it. Okay. It's like someone moving from Tamworth to the Shire to study. Don't do it. Why would you do it, Bill? Okay. Um, for those of you who don't know, Isabella's is moving on the 23rd of January. We're praying and fasting until that day. Um, so they come back. It's a beautiful story. I love this in chapter 25 because it kicks off with Abraham getting remarried. Uh, he has another six sons. If I was Sarah watching on, this is not a theological statement. I don't know that she was. I'd be like, really, God? Six sons. Okay, we're just handing out sons now. Um, we just heard the difficulty that she had in having a son. Listen to this in verse 7. Abraham lived for 175 years and he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. 
I love that. He breathed his life, his last, and joined his ancestors. It says his, his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. Now, it's an amazing thing because these two kids have been set up for enmity, have been set up for difficulty, but they come back together at the death of their father. Now, for the next 2,500 years, they and their ancestors have fought over a piece of land that's probably just twice the size of the town of Tamworth called the Gaza Strip, and it, that has continued on and on just as God said that it would way back then. Um, it says in verse 18, Ishmael's descendants occupied the region from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt in the direction of Ashur. There they lived in open hostility toward all their relatives. Now, I've only seen the Middle East on TV, but it sounds about right. Um, in the second ha half of chapter 5, we meet Esau and Jacob. Rebecca is barren. Uh, her husband Isaac prays for her. I just want to tell you that that's not like a patriarchal statement. She couldn't pray for herself. We see only a few books later that Hannah is in the temple praying because she's barren. So anyone can pray. But what a privilege of a husband to be able to pray for his wife. I encourage you that if you're a husband here this morning, it's a great privilege to be able to pray for your wife. Um, Daz prays every day, Lord, show me how I can champion my wife. And that is the greatest blessing and honour to me. At least he started praying that. I think he prays now, God, help it to know a place. But, um, you know, God's a God of miracles. Um, no, he doesn't pray that at all. He still prays to champion me. So the, the babies are wrestling in the womb, Esau and Jacob, but Rebecca doesn't know that they're twins. She just knows there's a whole lot going on there. You've seen the Maltesers ad where it rolls from side to side. This one's like a QB throwing a Hail Mary across the room. The Malteser flings off. And, but she's like, what's going on in there, God? And God says, you're actually having twin boys. And the, the younger one's going to serve the older one. And, and this is, they're going to both lead nations. So that's exactly that they, she does have twins. And for me, it's always been a difficult thing that she would call her son Jacob, which means usurper. We know that names mean something. Really now, people call their children names because they like the sound of the name. Some people really go into the meaning of it, um, but others don't. They just like the sound of the name. But back then, the name meant something. And I thought, why would you call your child usurper? That's a crazy thing to do. But actually, um, they were just calling what they saw. You see, um, Esau, he came out covered in in hair. It actually says like it was like a fur. It was like Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf. It was like, it was like, ah! oh, oh, I, I praise the Lord. Um, and then it was Jacob came out, but he was grabbing onto Esau's heel. And, and you see, that is the action of usurping is that you grab someone else's heel, you pull them down to lift yourself up. And so they're just calling what they see. It's not that they are calling him and saying, you will be a usurper. They're just saying, they're calling what they see. Esau means hair. Jacob um, sounds like heel or grabbing someone's heel. And so I just would encourage all of us, let's always celebrate people around us and lift them up and never try to pull them down in order to get ourselves up in Jesus' name. All right. Um, yep, we're going to skip through there. I'm just going to finish off this chapter. Had a really controversial statement for you. We're going to skip past it. Um, but uh, Esau comes in from a hard, energetic day. Now, Esau's an outdoors man. Jacob's an indoors man. Um, and he, he loves his mum. He's loved by his mum. Esau loved his dad's loved by his dad. But Jacob loves cooking, so his master chefing it up, makes a lentil stew. And Esau comes in and says, hey, can I have some of that? I'm really hungry. And begin, this begins Jacob's usurping. He says, I'll give you this if you give me your birthright. 
And Esau says, what good's my birthright to me right now? I need some stew. That's what I need. And he gives him his birthright. It's so often we don't realise what we have and we're so quick to let go of what we have and not recognise what's right in our hands. I want to encourage us, count your blessings, count them one by one. They will remind you what the Lord has done and you won't let go of it so easily. Um, So... Last point is that because it's a, oh no, there's two last points, James, I'm going to fly through them, okay. Um, The last point, second last point is that Jacob does the same thing, Isaac does the same thing that Abraham did in saying that Rebecca was his sister to avoid um, being killed so that they could marry Rebecca, the king Abimelech, same king that that Phoebe talked about last week, same king. Um, marrying his, uh, didn't want, he said he was his sister. So confusing. So Jerry Springer, am I right? But if I had a dollar for every time someone wanted to kill Darren so they could marry me, I mean, it's just commonplace. (laughs) He'd be poor, so poor. And um, and so Abimelech looks out the window, sees this brother and sister canoodling and says, that's not cool and what have you done? Learning from the other time quickly makes a proclamation when Isaac comes clean and says, no one is to touch either of this couple. Now, if that's, um, you're like, what on earth is going on here? Uh, Maybe listen to the podcast from last week and you'll get some perspective. Isaac builds some wells and and I just want to make this last point. There's this order that he does. He he quickly moves on when he gets contested for them. Maybe some of you just, rather than um, just fighting over something, just need to let it go and move on to the next thing. That might be a good Christmas word for some people. Just let it go and, uh, and, 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 and release it. That's what Isaac did with the wells. But eventually he finds a well that he can dig. He digs it and he decides to stay there. And his order is he builds an altar, he pitches a tent, and then he digs another well. He builds an altar, he pitches a tent and he digs another well. I wonder if your order is the same as his, to honour God, to look after your family and then to get to work. And is there any realignment that needs to be done there? Honour God, look after your family and get to work. And uh, let's uh, reflect on that for a moment. So, Okay, thank you. What a joy, an honour and a privilege. And man, I can learn more from Bronwyn in 15 minutes than most preachers in 15 hours, I'm telling you right now. We love being here today. Carol and I uh, came up, uh, of course, to visit family because we now have family in Tamworth, and it's exciting. Uh, but also, uh, you know, we're, we're just honored. We, we love your pastors so much. We really do. They're just a treasure to us. Uh, Carol and I probably feel closer to your pastors than any other pastors in Australia. We just love them and honor them. And uh, you know, Darren is just, in my opinion, one of the great leaders in our movement, and I feel his teaching on leadership is amazing, and I think Bronwyn is my favorite everything. <laughs> She's just my favorite everything, my favorite preacher, teacher, you know, motivator, uh, you know, it's, it's just awesome, and so Carol and I are so, so honored to be here, and um, it's, uh, this is Carol and mine's first time out of Penrith preaching, I mean, we've preached online to other places, but we've not stepped into another pulpit in two years. And so this is kind of, okay, uh, maybe, so if we're a little rusty today and older, don't worry, just just give grace, all right? But I want to, of course, honor my wife, you know, in 1987, we took three babies 
and left the United States of America, didn't have a clue, didn't really have a plan. We just came in obedience. We were asked to come to plant a church, never planted a church. I could hardly plant a hibiscus. <laughs> I tried it once and barely, barely made it. But our pastors asked us to come, and my wife uh, wrapped up three babies and put them on an airplane and followed me all the way here to Australia. And she's been the senior pastor with me now for all these years, uh, since 1987. And so, Carol, you really are my hero. And um, so uh, I'm just going to share a few thoughts. Honestly, I was getting so much out of that. It was so cool and so good. I'm thinking, go ahead. I'll, I'll take the next service. <laughs> this, this, this is awesome. But I thought I'd share with you just some thoughts from my own personal morning devotion that I, every single day, I know uh, how powerful it is to get myself adjusted for the day, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. I don't wake up every day and go, good morning, Lord, you know. I really sometimes wake up every day and go, good Lord, morning, you know, and, I, and I'm just, and so, but before I go out the door, I'm right, but I got to get myself right. And so what I do is I go down the stairs, usually early in the morning, and uh, I, I, I open my Bible, I get on my knees, and I have a whole list of powerful, out loud talk, self-talk, confession that I, that I speak. And I know this is powerful because the Bible teaches us that our tongue is like the bridle that you put on a horse. And you can literally turn a horse, a big horse, much bigger than you, anywhere you want it to go because of a small bridle in his mouth. And it's like uh, my, my mouth, my tongue, my words are like the rudder of a ship. And I can turn the ship if it's not in the waters I want to be in. I, if I'm in troubled waters, if I'm in anxious waters, wherever uh, you know, I'm, I'm in, I know the power of my tongue, according to the scriptures, that I can turn myself into another place, a better place. And so I do that every day. And I've been making um, a, a daily confession uh, for a long, long time. And a small part of that confession is an identity confession. Because, you know, the I am question, that's the big question, isn't it? That's kind of the quintessential question. Who am I? Who am I? People go through their whole life. Who am I? And many will die still asking the question. Others will find who they are and be so disappointed, and they'll die disappointed because they found out who they are. So I am. I am. But yet for us as Christians, it's, it's different. I am in the world has a question mark behind it. But I am as a Christian has an exclamation mark behind it. And that's what I want to do every day, is I want to get that exclamation mark behind it. Because if I know who I am, then I know why I am. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to do if I know who I am. So I make three I am confessions every day. I tell myself, I remind myself, I adjust myself, and decree these three things. This is just a small part of my daily confession, but I thought I'd share it with you. These are my three I am's. So I first say this, I am a son. I'm a son. You're a daughter or a son. I am a son. And I just start right here. And I just quiet myself like a weaned child. And I sit there and I realize I am a son. I am a son. And 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. 
And it says, brethren, beloved, now are we the sons of God. So when I'm sitting there right now, when I wake up in the morning, I'm declaring right now, I am a son of God. It doth not yet appear what I shall be, but I know that when he shall appear, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. Now, here's the beauty of sonship. It requires absolutely nothing of me except to be born. It's just not on me. My sonship is on him. You're a son or a daughter because someone thought of you and wanted you and loved you and brought you here, and you're just here because of that. Because sonship requires nothing except to be born. I'm born a son. I do not work to be a son. I do not strive to be a son. I do not stress to be a son. I am a son. It's, it's, above, it's beyond me. And it's not even on me. It's on God. It's on God. And, and just that thought, and I'm not working today to be a son of God. I'm not striving today to be a son of God. I am a son. It is, not, it is something I am. It is not something I do. And it, it, a lot of my Christian life, I think I've been confused about that. And it's been a whole lot about, am I doing a son instead of am I being a son? Sonship is about relationship. And I have that in spades because God is my father. God is your father. I, want, I don't want to go out the door today without stopping and thinking and resting in this relationship that he has given me. And I am a son. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all children of God by faith through Jesus Christ. So I take every bit of faith that I have and I make this confession. I'm not saying I feel like a son. I'm saying I am a son. I am a son by faith. Sonship is not something I achieve. It's something I believe. And when I confess what I believe, how powerful is that? When what I believe and my heart starts coming out of my mouth, look out. Look out, really, because now, now we're going to have a day. Now we're going to get on with it. So I am a son. I have a father. I have a father. In Galatians 4, 6, it says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. And you cry, Abba, Father, I have that. That happened to me. I have this, this spirit right here that he's talking about because I, I, there's this thing inside of me that cries out, Abba, intimate father, closely related to me, father. Abba, Abba. That spirit is in me and it is an evidence of my sonship. And every day, it's just so, you know, my father left home when I was five years old and he never returned. But I have a father. I have a father, and I confess this every day. I have his access. You know, I have an all-access pass to all of his house, all of his closets, all of his possessions, all of his rooms. I, I, I carry an all-access pass to everything that is my father's. I have his access. I have his acceptance. I have his affection. I have his affirmation. I have his assurance. I have his assessment. I have his assignment. I have his approval. I have his appointing. I have his anointing. I have his authorization. I have his absolution. I have his acquittal. I have his arrest of me. I have his authority. And that's why I ask with audacity. I confess this every single day. I am a son. And then I confess. 
I am a soldier. As a son, I rest. As a soldier, I war. And much is required of me as a soldier. Nothing's required of me as a son except to be born. But much is required of me as a soldier. I am a son who has enlisted. I am an enlisted son of God, and I am a soldier. And a soldier trains, a soldier prepares, a soldier is disciplined, a soldier works, a soldier sweats. Now that's where the work is. That's where the striving is. That's where the, the, uh, the fight is. A soldier engages the enemy. A soldier trains, a soldier prepares, a soldier is disciplined. A soldier fights and he wins battles. And then if he loses battles, he learns what he, why he lost the battle. And he gets back up to go win the next battle. I'm a soldier. And there's a real battle going on. And we read in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. Paul said, yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And then he lists the three things that I'm going to share with you in my confessions right here when he speaks of Epaphroditus. He says, my brother fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger. So Epaphroditus is not just a son, my brother. He's not just a son. He's my fellow worker, and I'll get to that one in a moment. He says, and fellow soldier. So I, I am, as a son, I'm part of a family, but as a soldier, I'm part of a fight. And I cannot sacrifice one for the other. You, you know, and I don't want to get the two mixed up. I don't want to get my wires crossed. I'm in this fight to win it. And it is on. And if you don't think the fight's not on, all we have to do is look around us. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship. Now there's a great word on how to build a great church, hardship. But I'm talking about soldiers. Soldiers endure hardship. I spent three years in the United States Army Infantry, and man, I, I, I hate 4 a.m. I hate calisthenics at 5 a.m. I hate running until I taste blood in the back of my throat. I hate that stuff. I thought, God, if I ever get out of this, I'll never get up at 4 a.m. again in my life. You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As a son, I endure fellowship, but as a soldier, I endure hardship. It's just part of the package. I am a soldier, and I'm training for battle, and I'm trained for battle. And so much is at stake. It's a battle that can't be lost. In Psalm 40, 144, verse 1, David said, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. I am formed and fashioned for a fight. We read in Ephesians chapter 6. This is New Testament teaching, guys. This is New Testament theology. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Man, I don't get out of that chair until I've, until I've acknowledged that I'm, I'm a son. And I, st I, st I love that. I'm a son, so I'm going to sit here and bask in just goodness and love and know that there's not one thing I have to do to make myself acceptable to God. Because I'm a son, and sons are accepted. But I'm a soldier, and I'm about ready to walk out that door. 
Therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. We've seen a little evil of the evil day lately, haven't we? And having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Come on, we just heard some, I mean, you can really get equipped for this battle just by the teaching we, we heard for 15 minutes. That was awesome, you know. Stand, therefore, having, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Take, above all, take the shield of faith, by which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Come on, I take up my weapons for my warfare. And if you say, oh, I'm a pacifist, I'm not a warrior, you better get over it. There's another place for that. That's called heaven. We're on earth right now. We're on earth right now. Amen. Now be a pacifist in some things, but not when it comes to the enemy and not when it comes to the souls of other people. I'm a soldier, so I fast. I discipline myself. I say no to many things so that I can say yes to the main thing. I am a soldier, and I do not live as a civilian. In 2 Timothy 2.4, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if you don't think women aren't soldiers, I have been to the Middle East. I spent three months with my wife in Israel. I hiked from, from the, the northern tip uh, of Lebanon to the southern tip of uh, Israel to Egypt. A thousand kilometers I walked across that land. It took me 42 days. And some of the fiercest soldiers I ever saw were those Israeli women. Cutest I ever saw, too. <laughs> when I was in the army, no soldiers looked like those Israeli soldiers. If they had, the United States Army would have had overflow. We'd always had more soldiers than you could ever imagine. Because every young woman in Israel from the age of 18 years old serves as a soldier. And I mean an automatic weapon, machine gun, toting, mama packing soldier. And so this soldier stuff isn't just a guy thing. It's a God thing. And it's for all, all of us. And Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world. Oh, come on, somebody. We need some soldiers. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places, I am a soldier. And so I just have to make some decisions like, okay, I'm not going to indulge myself. I'm going to improve myself because I am a soldier, because I'm a soldier. I'm going to develop myself, not devalue myself. I'm going to improve myself, not impair myself. I'm going to enhance myself, not indulge myself. I'm going to upgrade myself, not degrade myself. I'm going to manage myself, not damage myself. I'm going to respect myself, not reject myself. I'm going to come home and improve, not come home and implode. And so every day, I confess that I'm a soldier. And then I say this, after I've confessed I'm a son, and I confess I'm a soldier. And here's what I say after I confess I'm a soldier. And today is a good day to die. It's a good day to die to the flesh. It's a good day to die to the world. It's a good day to die to my own selfish lower nature and to take up my cross and follow Jesus Christ. I'm a son. I'm a soldier. I'm a servant. I'm quick. Almost out of time. 
And let me just share. Let me, I'm a, I'm a, I, all right, I'm a son, I'm a soldier. And number three, I confess this every day, I am a servant. I am a servant. I'm a servant. A son is, is about relationship. A soldier is about warfare. And a servant is about working and serving. And we can never lose this. We can never lose this. We, I'm not just one thing. I'm more than one thing. I'm a son in an amazing grace relationship with God. A stressless relationship with God. Come on. Somebody needed to hear that right there. A stressless relationship with God because I'm a son. And I'm a soldier too. But I'm also a servant. And we read in Luke chapter 22 and verse 27, Jesus said, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is not he who... Is it not he who sits at the table, and yet I am among you as one who serves? And then he said in Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give. To serve and to give. When God became a man, when the God-man lived among us, when he walked among us, this was the model of life. He's the maker of life. He's the creator of life. So if we were to ever want to emulate or model anything, life, then we should model the God-man. And here's what he said. I am among you. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, to serve and to give, to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so to my father, I am a son. To the enemy, I'm a soldier. But to my wife and my children and my neighbors and a lost world, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. And I have no identity crisis because I know who I am. And I don't want to get them mixed up. I'm not a soldier to my wife. I'm a servant. I'm a soldier where I need to be a soldier. But I'm a son and I'm a servant. And so I, we need to... If I have this understanding of, of who I am, I have to tell you, it helps establish my day. And my day is what establishes my life. And over enough days, my life is established and your life is established. So I thought I would just share with you, this is just for my own personal devotion. I didn't read this out of a book. It's just, I just thought I'd come to you and just share with you what helps me in my identity every day because I don't wake up great. I wake up screwed up sometimes, but I sit there and I try to, bring it all back to realignment and calculation by the power of my confession. And I walk through the thought every morning, thank you, Father, that I am a son. But I'm also a soldier. And so, Lord, help me today to live the disciplined life of a soldier. And I'm also, Lord, a servant. And so let there be a yes in my heart to, to the needs of those around me. All right. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this morning and this time together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word already that we've heard from the book of Genesis. And Lord, as I share these thoughts, I pray they would be helpful because I stand here right now as a servant, as a servant. And I pray I could serve the precious and beautiful body of Christ here in Tamworth. I pray I could serve the beautiful sons and daughters of God. And I pray that there would be a, a great sense of 
clarity and a great sense of identification that maybe someone has struggled with, that maybe today this would help. I ask it in Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.